Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I'm your host, Talia Murdoch, and would like to begin by acknowledging that we are fortunate to be able to gather on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people where this podcast is recorded. Today, I'm going to be talking about something that happened in Canada just this week, an announcement from the Ontario government to cut $1 billion over 10 years from Toronto Public Health. What does this mean for the future of people residing in Toronto? And why would a government want to fund public health in the first place? Now, this is another episode I haven't heavily researched. Rather, I'm going to be talking about it from a theoretical perspective and also draw on my experience and knowledge gained working in the health sector. So, as I just mentioned, Ontario Premier Doug Ford, a Conservative, has announced that his government will be cutting funding to Toronto Public Health by $1 billion over a period of 10 years, in an attempt to consolidate the number of public health units across the province. So firstly, let's understand what the role of Toronto Public Health is, and why a government will want to fund such a unit in the first place. Toronto Public Health is the public health unit for the City of Toronto Board of Health, responsible for delivering public health programs and services, enforcing public health regulations, and advising City Council on health issues. Their role is to administer health promotion and disease prevention programs to inform the public about healthy lifestyles, communicable disease control, including education in STDs, STIs and AIDS, immunisation, food premises inspection, healthy growth and development, including parenting education, health education for all age groups and selected screening services. So let me try and give this a bit of meaning. If you think for a moment about healthcare as a system with levels, in whatever way works for you, maybe it's a building, maybe it's a game, there are multiple levels within any healthcare system, each with a different purpose. So the purpose of public health at its core is to keep people healthy and living a life that stops them from needing a doctor in the first place. Public health in some ways aims to keep people out of the healthcare system. Not because they can't afford it or anything like that, but because being healthy is the best thing for an individual and for society at large. Sometimes, though, people will fall sick and need to see a doctor or get an injury. If you are visiting a doctor or nurse in a clinic, this is primary care and is an essential piece to managing the health of a population. Now, once things become more serious and you are admitted to hospital, need the treatment of a specialist, this is tertiary care. And often, but not always in this order, Tertiary care will be followed by palliative care, which focuses on making a patient as comfortable as possible in their final stages of life. And that is really the most basic explanation of a healthcare system. The real key word when considering the role of public health across the world is prevention. The fundamental goal of public health is to keep someone from ever becoming a patient and experiencing the other levels of that healthcare system. Unfortunately, because public health isn't always in the business of directly working with patients, it is almost always the first facet of health to experience funding cuts, as its benefits are not as obvious as they are in comparison to a person going into hospital with a broken leg and coming out with it treated. The benefits of public health, however, are immense. I think that one of the most obvious public health initiatives I know of is anti-tobacco, anti-smoking programming in Australia. Now, Australia has massive taxes on cigarettes, I think some of the highest in the world. 
This is because the tobacco market creates huge market failures in the form of negative consumption externalities. I give an explanation of what externalities are all the way back in the very first episode of this podcast if you're unsure of what I mean or if you need a refresher. But basically, when you smoke cigarettes, there is no question that you increase your risk of having high blood pressure, getting lung cancer, heart disease, stroke, to name a few. As you become less healthy or suffer one of the health conditions related to smoking, you need to get treatment. Fortunately, in Australia and in Canada, this treatment is administered at no or a very low cost to the patient, regardless of what caused you to get the condition. And this is how it should be. And I am yet to hear an argument to convince me otherwise. I strongly believe in universal healthcare. So if you have a heart attack or stroke and require intense treatment, this can be very expensive, regardless of who's paying for it. As a comparison, a straightforward, uncomplicated vaginal birth with a 24-hour stay in hospital costs between $5,000 and $10,000 in Australia, depending on the hospital. Now, I'm not trying to downplay childbirth here, but you can imagine how many more resources are needed to manage a patient who has suffered heart failure or has emphysema, given the number of tests that need to be done, medication that needs to be administered, let alone nurse and doctor hours needed to administer the care itself. So recognising this cost, the Australian government has done a number of things to offset the externalities, the most direct one being taxes, which puts the true cost on the cigarette consumer. In addition to this though, because the goal really is to keep people out of hospital by encouraging them not to smoke, the government funded a lot of other programs to raise awareness about the risks of smoking. For example, Smarter Than Smoking are the main anti-smoking public health unit who advertise, educate in schools, work on legislation for things like plain packaging, promote health research, to name just a few things, all of which have led to a decline in new smoker rates in the country. This is absolutely an area of public health that Australia has really led the way in, and many countries are now looking to implement plain packaging as well. When we look at the numbers, for every $1 spent on tobacco prevention, $20 is saved in healthcare costs. That's a 95% return on investment, let alone the number of improved lives. And this sort of stuff is seen across all types of public health initiatives. So it is certainly alarming that Toronto Public Health is facing such drastic cuts because it is programs like these that will suffer. Not only this, immunizations will be harder to distribute, disease prevention and education will drop, food and water quality will be at risk, sexual health education will decline, as the unit will have to first, I imagine, go into a lot of debt to cover the funding gap and then make really difficult cuts to its programming. And that's because these cuts initiated by the government of Ontario, are effective immediately. Now, what the Ford government is trying to do is make their government smaller and put the onus of funding onto the municipalities and away from the province. Which, even if this was for the best, for the record, I don't think this is for the best, this needs to be done slowly over time and with deep consultation, rather than just cutting it overnight. According to the City of Toronto, there was virtually no consultation over these cuts. It was almost hidden in the provincial budget. And as we can all see, there is no time for the city to adjust. The Ministry of Health in Ontario maintained that municipalities will continue to be fully funded, 
but that just doesn't really line up with this announcement. Where for Toronto specifically, they are trying to change the funding splits to make the municipality pay for more so the province can lower its debt. But given that the province has more powers to raise revenue through various taxes, well, there are other ways to get the debt under control, like cutting corporate subsidies that deliver little to no economic and social benefits, perhaps. And you know, debt is really not as big a deal as it is often made out to be. So this is what the City of Toronto, among other public health units, I'm sure, are currently facing. There is just short of 6 million people living in the greater Toronto area who will suffer because of this. But if you take a look at the Ontario budget, overall health spending is increasing year on year, though not by very much. And this is something that really frustrates me about decisions like these. When these sorts of cuts happen, I feel like the government is sending a signal, saying something along the lines of, sorry, I see that you're showing signs of depression and anxiety, but we don't actually have the money to invest in public group counselling for you right now. But this person, on the other hand, who has self-harmed because of depression and anxiety, well, we have all the money in the world to treat them in hospital. So if you get to hospital, you're fine. But we don't want to stop you or try and stop you from getting to hospital because we don't have the money for that. Even though doing that is a lot cheaper than treating people in a hospital. It honestly baffles me as to why governments don't focus on prevention when it delivers so much welfare to an economy and its people. It improves people's lives. It stops them from dying. Now, I am far from an expert on this matter, but it is safe to say that these cuts are short-sighted and ill-advised. People's health is at risk. Virus outbreaks are becoming more and more prevalent as it is with the anti-vax movement. We don't need a provincial government chipping in on this as well, let alone the risk of increased waterborne viruses and E. coli infections, to name just a few things that food and water control prevent, all of which lies under Toronto Public Health in this city specifically. So before I finish up, I'm going to list just five of the over 113 support areas listed on the Toronto Public Health website under health programs and advice and what they are for. They're completely random. I just picked out five. One, body safe. Infection prevention for businesses providing manicures, hairdressing, aesthetics, piercing, tattooing, and micropigmentation. Super basic. Helping people work safely so they don't get infections, requiring antibiotics and potentially further treatments. Cancer prevention screening. It's in the name screening people early for signs of cancer when it's in the early stages so it doesn't develop and get worse and see these people in hospital needing serious treatment or potentially dying. Fall prevention. Information on how to prevent falls and injuries in children and older adults. And this is specifically important for older adults where falls are one of the leading causes of death among older adults because if you fall and then they break their hip, and then there is a complication in surgery or in healing and it turns into an infection and the older body just can't fight back like it used to. Overdose prevention and response. Raising awareness about overdosing and helping those with an addiction receive drugs safely. Also completely critical to stop people from dying, to stop people from having problems with drug addiction, 
just keeping them safe and treating them like people. Lastly, sexual health info line, where anyone can talk to a counsellor with their questions and concerns for free. So if you're a young person, an adult, a senior, and you have questions or concerns about sexual health, you can call out this info line for free and someone will be there to counsel you through whatever problem you're having. This is just scratching the surface of what a public health unit does for its people and everything that is at risk of being cut. So quite a short one today. That brings me to the end of this episode. I think it's pretty clear how I feel about this topic. Cutting public health is dangerous and unfair. And as always, who do you think is going to be the hardest hit? Of course, those who are in the greatest need, people with lower incomes and lower levels of education. So what can people do about it? Honestly, I have no idea. You can write to your local MLA if this is happening to your city and pressure your own government to keep these critical programs alive. I'm not a Canadian voter, so I can't do any of this. I can just rant about it and hopefully encourage someone else to take action. Does doing that stuff actually work? Well, with a collective effort, it absolutely can. And here is hoping that the cuts are reversed. As always, thank you so much for listening. Grim as it may be, I hope you enjoyed this episode and can understand the importance of public health. You can follow the show on Twitter at Every Economics and find the whole network at Cave Goblins across all social media platforms. Please rate and review on iTunes as this is the easiest way to support the show and also to help other people find it. Thank you again. Be kind to each other. I am Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed, competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30pm PST. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.